Welcome to the Experience Starving Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Yeti Ogunwumi. Yeti is a first-year student in our full-time MBA class of 2023, and she is also the incoming president of the Building Goodness in April Student Organization. Yeti and I recently connected via Zoom to talk more about her background, her work in architecture and design before coming to Darden, how she decided to pursue an MBA, how her first year is gone, how she'll be spending her first year summer, her plans for building goodness in April, the list goes on. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's my interview with Yeti Ogunwumi. Yeti, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brett. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to talk with you. It's a beautiful day in the Washington, D.C. metro area where I'm sitting. How are things where you are? It's gorgeous here in Charlottesville. It's really sunny. I know one of the things I miss the most about Charlottesville for my undergrad was the weather. So it's nice to experience spring again here. I know. April is a, is a beautiful, beautiful month. Um, it's a great time to be there. It's not too hot yet. It gets a little, it's a little warm in the summer, but uh, spring, springtime, all the flowers. Uh, the grass, like it is, a, it's a particularly vibrant season in Charlottesville. It is. It is. When all the daffodils spring back up. Um, maybe not always conducive to intense head down studying all the time. But. <laughs> hey, I think it helps the balance. It's like if you have to study somewhere gorgeous, sometimes you remember to look at the flowers. So <laughs> I appreciate it. That's right. That's right. Well, it's great to talk with you. Um, your post spring break now you're taking electives as a first year student the first three quarters are our core curriculum and you have that spring break and you come back and you start into your elective courses how how's class how's everything going well now it's great core was intense um, so it's nice now to kind of be able to pick and choose what classes i'm taking uh I was telling you earlier, right now I have two days of classes. So I bid so that I would have two days of classes and essentially a five-day weekend, uh, which has been awesome. It's been awesome to have time to myself, time to kind of pursue other things I love, such as art. So it's been really great. So when you say pursue art, does that mean, do you create your own art? Or you just enjoy going to art museums? Uh, tell me, what, that, what does that look like? Sure. So I'm actually also an artist on the side. So back home in Nigeria, I did some exhibitions. So since core, I haven't had as much time to kind of create again. So I'm going back into it right now. All right. So you got to tell us what kind of art do you do? <laughs> sure. Uh, so I usually use watercolor or pen and ink. So I start out with these black and white portraits. They're built up from really delicate patterns, mostly inspired by the Yoruba Adira patterns, which are like the tie-dye patterns. Uh, and I kind of translate them to portraits um, made up from these patterns. And how did you get into that? Uh, I guess for five years ago, I was bored. <laughs> I just kind of picked up a pen and started scribbling. And that's what I kind of came up with. Um, I still have the first portrait I did, and it took me ages to do it. Uh, but I was kind of surprised by the results and loved it. And I just kept doing it. And eventually I realized, hey, this could be great. Let me see if galleries would be interested in it. So I kind of submitted my work to a few galleries, was in a few group exhibitions, um, which I loved. I loved really being able to create and show my work and that whole experience of explaining my work to people. So, yeah. 
That's that's really cool. Are these uh, pieces that you sell or you just exhibit uh, for the world? <laughs> I did sell. It's been a while because I took like, what, two, three years off of kind of being a more serious artist to concentrate on my projects back home. Um, I was working on the railway project and eventually kind of applied to my MBA. So I did use to sell. Right now, actually for the club I'm in, the Building Goodness in April, for the auction, I auctioned off some custom portraits. So I'm doing those again for people. So <laughs> I'll say it here and there. I'm hoping in the future I would sell again. So right now I'm just hoarding. <laughs> uh, that's great. Well, you've already touched on some things that we're going to get into uh, later on yeah. in our conversation. But we always start with the first kind of set of questions to help our listeners learn a little bit more about you. So tell us your story. Where are you from? You know, what did you do before coming to Darden? Sure. I'm from Lagos, Nigeria. And before Darden, I was actually an architect. So I studied, I studied architecture in my undergrad program here, also at UVA. I graduated, what, 2013, so years ago in my mind. Um, I worked here in New York, mostly in interior architecture projects, so high-end apartments, some offices, and decided I wanted to be able to make more of an impact. Uh, so I decided to return to Nigeria, where I started working with the consultant to the government on some railway projects. Uh, to give some context, Nigeria is kind of in the middle of developing an uh, upgraded railway system, well, technically upgraded for what we had before. Um, and I came just at the beginning of that process and have currently worked on about, I worked on three railway project developments in Nigeria, mostly working on stations, a bit on the railway also. And right now I think about what? I think about 200,000 passengers use, I think the one connecting the largest city in Nigeria, Lagos, weekly. So it's really popular right now. And I'm really proud of that project. I can't wait to kind of go back and see uh, what's going on with that project and how people are using it. There seems like, to be a pretty significant difference between doing interior design for the kinds of spaces that you mentioned in New York City and working on large-scale public infrastructure in Nigeria. Are yes. they similar in some way that may not be obvious to the untrained eye? <laughs> they are very different. It's completely different. Um, especially transportation hubs are a lot more standardized. So it's, while interior design kind of allows you to kind of bring your own vision and creativity. Public infrastructure is all about the masses and how people behave. So it's completely different sides. I think for me, what connected two of them is just, I love problem solving. So they were just different skills of problems that needed to be solved and applying the design thinking mindset to solving those problems. What initially attracted you to design in this, this uh, the work that, that you did? I mean, there's many different paths people can pick. Uh, when they look at undergrad, when they think about taking that first step in, in their career, we're always interested in the why of somebody's story here at, at Darden. And so why this particular path for you? Sure. I think this is a funny story um, anyway, because for me, my interests before undergrad, I loved arts. Like I've been drawing since I was, I don't know, three years old or something. Um, but I also loved science. Like Physics, I loved physics once I got introduced to it. I loved biology. And I was looking for a way to kind of marry those two things. And for me, uh, before my undergraduate, there were three options to that. So it was either I was going to do astrophysics, <laughs> biophysics, or architecture. And they all seemed very unrelated. <laughs> but 
uh, architecture kind of won out because I felt like it gave me the most flexibility to explore my interests. And even looking at my projects through undergrad, like one of my favorite projects in my undergraduate was creating a center for the human genome mapping project. So a conceptual project, of course, in my third year. So it really helped me tie all these, my interests, still really exploring science, biology, physics, and how the built environment kind of comes into that and helps helps mediate and helps people navigate some of these concepts. Are you somebody who's just always been curious about people? It seems like that's yes. a common thread. <laughs> I think I have. I've always been kind of an observer or watcher of people. Um, I like to joke that I have files for people in my mind, <laughs> so, which is some people find a bit creepy, but for me, it's like I meet you and I like to understand how people think, what makes people tick. Um, yeah, I think that's also something else with Darden, it connects to my love for marketing because marketing is all about what drives people to make purchases, right? So it's been interesting seeing that link between, I guess, the psychology of people and some of these choices, whether it's how they use the built environment or how they make purchases. Um, yeah, so I think all of these things do seem to be centered on people and my love for like understanding people. It's just interesting when you think about something like architecture or, or design, that I think some people think of that as like a, as a physical medium, right? You're, you're designing mm -hmm. spaces, but you're designing spaces for people, for people to yeah. engage with, to be in. And those spaces make people feel and do things and use the space in particular ways. Um, what's that like? I've never, and I'm saying, I'm saying this as somebody who is, <laughs> you know, I work in higher education. I've never designed a space and then watched a person use it. Uh, what, what's that like? It's interesting because, in a way, I guess it's almost like using space to manipulate people because when you design spaces, you're thinking about how do you want people to behave or how do you expect people to behave? And then you create the physical environments to either stop or allow that behavior. So this happens a lot, especially in infrastructure. So like the train station, you don't want people, for instance, to stop in some spaces because, of course, it's going to create a lot of uh, clogging of the people in those spaces. So how do you make sure people keep on moving and don't stop in the space, but allow people to stop in other spaces, for instance, where there's shops? So it is it is interesting kind of watching people navigate the space in ways you expected and sometimes in ways you didn't expect. I Sometimes, for instance, when you think about landscape architecture and gardens, everyone like always has those rectilinear paths, but people always want to just cross diagonally. Like, So it is interesting kind of, after where you create spaces, watching and analyzing how people use those spaces and those unintended paths, unintended actions that people take. Does having that background in architecture and design change how you look at space in the world? Like when you walk into a building or when you're, when you're at Darden or like any other space in the world, are you thinking about you know, what the person who was designing that was thinking? Oh, definitely. Uh, I think... And I know my, my husband suffers this. Every space I enter, I start my analysis. I'm always like, oh, they shouldn't have done this. This, Whether it's from the materials, like even how the space is arranged. And I think about it as my superpower that any building I enter, if, even if I've never been there, I know exactly where the bathroom is going to be because <laughs> there's kind of rules around how you should place some of these utilities. So definitely, I'm always thinking about it. I think it's always going to be a huge part of my identity, um, understanding spaces and like watching how people interact in spaces. 
So you grew up in, in Nigeria. Uh, was you coming to UVA your first time in the U.S. or had you kind of made your way uh, here through some stops? Just curious. It was definitely my first time in the U.S. Um, so it was interesting. I think also coming to Virginia, I remember um, I flew into New York and I moved to Virginia and we drove with my family from New York to Virginia and like how the landscape kind of changes from like this massive city to like the forestry in Virginia, it was gorgeous. I think it was almost fall. So like, no, I think it should have been summer. So all the forests around Charlottesville, that procession, I think I, I will always remember that drive. Uh, so it was very different from where I'd been living, where I'd, what I'd experienced. Lagos is a big city, but of course, nothing compared to New York in terms of the height of the buildings and I think, well, I think we do have more people, but even just how the people looked. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a very interesting experience and a very interesting contrast for me coming here. Well, I think it's fair to say there are not many places in the world that are like New York City. And, you know, <laughs> you step off a plane and you drive down, I mean, maybe the New Jersey Turnpike, um, yeah. heading, heading south, you kind of get to D.C. and then you get south of D.C. and it gets you know, it gets more rural, you know, farmland and starts to open up a little bit. Um, yeah. And I, I imagine Charlottesville was a little bit different than Lagos <laughs> as, as well. Very different. It is very different. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot more space um, and a lot fewer people. Lagos is really busy. <laughs> was it nice you know, having that kind of elbow room and having some space just to focus on being an undergraduate student? I don't know. I think I'm more of a city girl. I think I've realized. I think I like having people. I think it connects also to like my love of watching people. The less people there are, <laughs> I don't have anyone to watch. Uh, so I think I missed being in a city, being surrounded by so many people and just imagining their stories, I think is my my best part about like being in a city and like those casual highs or like smiles that people have when they cross get across each other in the city. It's not quite the same as Charlottesville. Charlottesville is a lot smaller, so everyone kind of knows everyone, especially in the architecture school, which is like a small community and we're always together. We work, <laughs> I mean, I know most students left architecture school standardly like 12.30 a.m. every night. So <laughs> we're together a lot in the architecture school. So it's definitely very different. So what's interesting to me about your story um, is, you know, as I've listened to you talk about um, what you did before coming to Darden, there's design, there's architecture, there's this curiosity about people. You also seem like someone who's very curious about the world. You mentioned physics and this kind of astrophysics interest, so cosmos. I didn't hear a lot of business as part of that. <laughs> and so, you know, how did you get interested in an MBA? How did you say, you know what, an MBA is the right step for me? I think for me, it was still around the curiosity. Um, so, Working on my railway project, the question started coming up about how much do you charge for the railway for people to use the railway? And to me, just that simple question brings in so many things. It's about how much can people afford? What's the poverty index in Nigeria? How often are people going to be using the service? The fact that you need to really be able to finance the maintenance of the service that we borrowed a lot of money from China to be able to build. And I realized that I, I had a lot of questions around the financial models, the operational models around such a large project that went outside of the bounds of architecture. So I think it's still me kind of pushing that curiosity to the next level. It's like on a big project like this, 
how can you make this happen for a country that's struggling with poverty in such a way that it's sustainable and it doesn't kind of cripple us? And an MBA seems like the best place to kind of explore these questions. And I have been able to explore these questions in things like GEM or even operations, finances. All these questions come up and really have helped me inform how I felt and thought about the work we were doing in Nigeria above the level that I was able to work at. For our listeners who are less familiar with the alphabet soup of the Darden Core <laughs> curriculum, Jim is global economies and markets, uh, one of the yeah. core classes you get to take uh, during your first year. Um, so Yeti, how did you decide Darden was the place you wanted to be? You mentioned maybe you think of yourself as more of a city person um, and, and Charlottesville, you know, it's a town here, but it's a college town. You're in central Virginia. How did you make this decision? I think for me, Darden, to be honest, I only applied to Darden, which nobody should do. I don't advise anyone does that. But for me, it was like coming home. This is somewhere that I had been at, spent so many formative years here. And it felt like the safest place for me to come back and explore these ideas and curiosities that I was coming up with. So it kind of became easy for me just to think coming back to Darden, coming back to UVA made sense. I mean, while I was here in undergrad, Darden always seemed like a mysterious bubble that <laughs> like you don't see anyone in you just you don't know what's happening in the bubble but it's been interesting to kind of pierce the bubble and be on the other side and experience it from the other side now yeah i can imagine for many arts and sciences students uh, go to four years of undergrad north grounds may seem a bit removed from where you are <laughs> yeah. for our listeners who haven't spent time in, in charlottesville you know, the main grounds of the university, which isn't so far away, but it's probably spatially far enough that there's not a whole lot of mingling during the week outside of maybe folks see each other on the corner or some of the social spots um, around town. North grounds, you know, it's law school, it's business school, it's really the professional schools and, and the JAG school is also up here. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a little bit, little bit removed from the, the undergraduate experience. It is. So it's been interesting. I remember I only came to Darden once in my undergrad, and that's because my friend's mother was having, was doing the, an exec program. So I happened to come here and I just, I don't know, I didn't know anything they were doing. I had no idea what MBA was. I, so all these things is interesting now to be on the other side and like meet undergraduate students and uh, imagine how it must be for them meeting me, what, like 10 years later um, and how they see Darden. Are you surprised to find yourself in an MBA program? <laughs> I think I am. I, I don't think if I ever like did bingo on my life, I don't think I would have ever put MBA as like one of the things I would have done. And it actually took com some convincing for me to consider. I had a friend uh, who worked in Nigeria for, um, for McKinsey. Uh, and she was like, I think you would be great as a consultant. And an easy way to do that is push you an MBA program. And of course, all these questions you're having, you could easily explore that MBA program. I think it took her two years to convince me that I should even like look into it, to be honest. Uh, but I'm glad to be here because it really has opened up for me a whole other set of thoughts and a whole other set of questions and curiosities I'm able to explore right now. So we started the conversation by talking a little bit about your, your first year. You're in electives now. Um, it sounds like yes. you've got a pretty pretty nice schedule set up for yourself <laughs> through the elective period. Um, but the first year is both core curriculum and electives. Uh, what was it like, you know, coming, coming back to school, 
navigating a new, new curriculum, uh, a new place. Talk to us about, about that experience. Sure, it was it was intense. I know because we have international students orientation program. And I think that was the first inkling of how intense starting was going to be. Because I think for three days straight, we were in school, what, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. <laughs> for three days. And <laughs> it was already a lot of adjustment from that point. Um, but the thing about core for me is that they always say, and you hear this a lot, um, it's like drinking straight from a fire hose because they really do immerse you in a lot of things. There's like, what, three cases a day that you have to be caught up on. And I think it was like 11 cases a week. So it's a lot of information from very different subjects kind of coming at you. And, but then I realized, cause I also did um, Darden for Darden. Darden for Darden kind of taught me that it's okay to kind of take a step back because there's a lot of people that come to Darden are type A students. They have, they have great grades from their previous programs. They're so used to excelling. And the thing about Darden is that you're not going to kind of get there. You're not going to excel by trying to do everything. It's all about leaning on the community around you, leaning on your learning team, understanding that you're not going to be great at everything and that's okay. <laughs> and just being able to kind of keep going is a great goal and is more than good enough. So I'm glad that I'm kind of learning that now with my MBA because after this, I'm probably, I'm doing consulting for my summer internship and I'm sure it's going to be very similar structures where there's so much information coming at me and just trying to pace myself and filter out this information and look at what's really important. That's one of the things as I've talked to more and more people, both students and faculty about the first year. One of the consistent themes I hear from faculty in particular is the intentionality in the design of the first year. So you know, keeping with this kind of design thread, I think, you know, people do come on the podcast and talk about the, the work that they've had to do and the challenge that the first year core experience really presents. But there's something to being given a lot of information and having to synthesize that information quickly, you know, feel like you don't have enough hours in the day and like, <laughs> having to lean on other people and ask for help and work with your learning team. You can't do it all by yourself. And there's also something that feels very true to the professional journey that our students are on. Like it doesn't get easier from here for, for <laughs> anybody, right? You're only going to have more and more complex jobs and responsibilities, and you're constantly going to have to get up to speed on something very, very quickly. You're going to have to make decisions probably quickly with incomplete information. You're going to have to, lean on others. You're going to have to ask for help. You're going to have to listen to the people who have subject matter expertise, ask good questions. And at the end of the day, make the best decision you can. Like I, it, all that feels very much aligned. Like the, the two things sound a lot like each other. Like this is a good opportunity for you to practice all these skills. Definitely. And I think the earlier, like I realized that the easier it became for me because it's easy to think that them kind of throwing all these cases about are up at you is all about you have to learn all of this you have to have all the right answers and if you approach it that way you're not you're going to get burnt out that's just the truth but understanding that all of the information they're throwing at you is an opportunity to really learn the skills you were just talking about learning how to pick out the information that's relevant learning to ask people that have experience in those spaces. In your learning team, for, my learning team, for instance, I had someone that had a background in accounting, someone that had a background in finance, and that became crucial because it's like, 
I don't have to struggle with the accounting case because they have done this. They understand this. So even if I need help, it's very easy for them to jump in and be like, oh, this was my experience of this. This is what you need to do. That's the real lesson, I think, of the core program at Darden. It's not, it's not necessarily, I mean, yes, what you learn in finance, what you learn in operations is important too. But the real lesson is how do you navigate a world where you have to make things happen when you're not perfect, when you don't know everything. I think that's the real lesson there. Yeah, I really appreciate that, that point, Yeti. And I think it's something I've thought a lot about as I've, as I've again, had these conversations and also heard students kind of speak to their experience here on the podcast. You know, I'm, I'm struck all the time by the extent to which many of the Darden faculty will say trust the process. And that's something that <laughs> students hear a lot. But it's funny. I mean, like, there's a lot of words you could have picked. You could have picked trust the work or trust the case. Like, they trust the process. Like, the the experience like there's an experiential component to that right um it's a it's it's the doing of of the things all of the things together and the group of people you're you're progressing through this experience with it brings you closer i think it's probably yeah. fair to say that there's a lot of with whether it's within your section and your learning team there's a lot of deep relationships that are formed by this sort of collective challenge uh there's a the feeling of accomplishment but i think there's a lot of other other life lessons, work lessons, it sounds like that are disseminated along the way too. Definitely. So um, you mentioned your, your summer, summer internship. It sounds like you're going to be working in consulting. Is that, did you come in, come into the program knowing that's exactly what you wanted to do or was that an evolution? I think it was definitely more of an evolution. Uh, for me, I started actually the recruiting process trying out three industries, so consulting, tech, real estate. And as time went and I kind of understood more about what was interesting to me in classes or what's the kind of impact I wanted to have or the kind of things I wanted to do, it felt like at least for my summer internship, consulting would be the best place because a lot of the things I'm curious about, like wanting to make impact or like strategies around marketing, things like that, you can have you can have very easily in consulting. So it felt like for my summer internship at least, consulting would be the best place to start before my second year, I do plan to recruit because I do want to try for tech again. I think tech might be interesting because uh, I think it's interesting but it's very hard for me to kind of come from the scale of building like infrastructure projects to kind of the scale of impact of consulting. It's so different <laughs> that it's something I'm struggling with a little bit. Um, and I'm hoping I could find that the kind of impact that I had some degree of that in tech. So that's something I'm kind of wrestling with. Well, for our prospective student listeners, I think it's important for them to know it's not just about your internship. The internship is a <laughs> yep. way of testing basically a hypothesis. You know, this exactly. is what I think I'd like to do. Uh, this is where I think I'd like to do it. Uh, I'm going to go to try this out, uh, test drive this path. But you do have the second year. And I think a lot of the second year students who come on the podcast and talked about their career journeys have always noted that it's not just a first year thing. Um, the career process and the recruitment process, there is a second year and it, it's called re-recruiting, but honestly, it's just, <laughs> it's just a continuation of recruiting, except now you're recruiting for full-time positions that you'll begin post MBA. Um, and it's pretty common for people to do that. Uh, I, I think that's one of the things that doesn't get talked about as much, um, when people look at MBA programs, but I, I feel like it's important to note it here on the podcast because I think there's so much 
anxiety and kind of energy around finding that internship. And it's really just part, again, of a process. Exactly. Um, I know during recruiting, I got so stressed out trying to find an internship because there's a lot of pressure. I mean, it feels like sometimes the internship is like do a bus. Like you don't get the, cur- the best possible internship. It might feel like you have failed, but that's not the case because like you said, it is just you testing this thing out because all I know, I could go through the internship and realize, hey, maybe consulting is not for me. So, but I love the opportunity to kind of have that internship and really honestly, I kind of like dive into something very different for anything I've done before and know that I still have options my second year to explore other areas. Totally true. And I think that's an important thing for anybody listening to the podcast to keep in mind. Now, one of the things that's also true that we talk about a bunch here on the podcast is as people move into their second year, uh, they begin to take on leadership roles within clubs Mm -hmm. and organizations. They are choosing a bit more how they're going to spend their time, particularly as they choose electives and they're pursuing extracurricular activities, other things that they're passionate about. You are involved with Building Goodness in April. Tell us a little bit more about your role and what this organization is. Sure. So I'm going to be the president of Building Goodness in April, which I'm very excited about. This is going to sound really geeky, but my application to Darden, I wrote about Building Goodness in April that I wanted to be involved. So let's call this a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, And basically Building Goodness in April is a nonprofit organization that raises funds from the Darden community to help renovate low-income homes around Charlottesville. Uh, I think we'll be going on for about 30 years uh, and we're under a parent organization as Building Goodness Foundation. So right now, like for instance, the past two weeks ago, we did a build where we had seven homes renovated around Charlottesville. So essentially on that day, we have contractors come in and we also have students. Contractors did everything from renovating bathrooms, renovating roofs. We even made sure some a home that had no heat, which was terrible, had heat put in. And volunteers would come in, whether it's clearing the yard, helping them clear out trash, um, and do a lot of these things for people in the community. And I think also with the past year with COVID, the impact of COVID on Charlottesville community has been huge. And this really showed during the build, a lot of people either lost family members or kind of still battling with a lot of sickness and just could not do a lot of these renovation projects on their own. And that's where Building Goodness in April comes in. With Darden funds that we raise during the year, we apply it towards renovating those homes. I can imagine, given your background in design and architecture and your desire to have an impact, you just mentioned uh, this and when you're talking about your career path. Is that what led you to be the president of this organization or was there something else that was on your mind? I think it definitely has to do with my background because for me, it's about how can I bring myself and what I'm passionate about to my Darden experience. And from the moment I like kind of read what Building Goodness in April does, it felt like this was the perfect synthesis of all that because I'm helping people and it's still with the built environment and it's with homes because homes are so intimate to people. Homes are people's rest, people's safe space. So how could we help them have better safe spaces that really make could improve lives so much? So I think that's really what pulled me to it. Um, I mean, the responsibility of being president is scary sometimes, but when I think about the good I want to do and I hope I can do, I think it will make it all worth it. Yeah, I mean, it's, to me, it's it's a wonderful example of the community in, in action. 
Uh, we get this question all the time from prospective students about how do Darden students have an impact on the Charlottesville community? What <laughs> opportunities for community engagement are there? And I think of this organization and, and the community consultants of Darden as maybe two of the best examples. Definitely. And weirdly enough, I was actually also on community consultants of Darden because that was the question I had coming in because knowing from my experience at UVA undergrad and feeling like Darden was a bubble, I was always concerned about how is Darden engaging with everyone else? So BGIA, uh, Building Goodness in April and Community Consultants of Darden seemed like two really great ways to really get myself out of that bubble. And remember that there's people all around us that we could be helping because being in Darden is a place of privilege. And anytime we're in privilege, I always want you to be able to remember that there's other people that I could be using my privilege to help, to support, to make life better for. That's a great point. I think the other thing that's important about community service and community engagement is I, I do think there's a tendency for all you know, professional school students, graduate students, undergraduate students, you get locked into thinking like, this is the world. This yeah. is, this is the, how the world operates. And this is the most important thing in the world. And then you kind of get out of that, right? Whether it's through volunteer activity, service, just something that kind of gets you out again of, of just the higher education bubble, just generally. And I do think that perspective is really helpful. It's really important for students because it can help bring much needed context at a time where you may be thinking that the thing that you're doing is so, so very important. And it's not to diminish its importance to you, but to recognize there's a bigger picture out there. Definitely, definitely. And I think that kind of points exactly to what my goal is for BGIA this year, to help starting community connect to the larger Charlottesville community and even like the global community even more because we have so much opportunity whether it's through GWC I know when I was in my undergrad architecture project we had a project where we went to Ghana and did some built uh, some built projects there so there's so many opportunities for Darwin students to really connect and I want BJ to kind of be the vessel to allow that to happen. Any other plans that you have or things that you're excited about uh, when you look forward to your to your second year? It could be with Building Goodness in April. It could be uh, something else that you're really excited about. Sure. I, I kind of on some other boards, which I hope I'm not going to regret next year, but the, Dar the Darden African Business Organization, some Green Speed FPP operations, and I'm excited about... Uh, Basically, the African community at Darden is growing exponentially. I think this year we had like 12 Nigerians. And next year, it seems like it's going to be even a lot more African students. So really helping prospective students from the African continent know that there's a place here for you at Darden. And there's people that will have your back and have gone through it and are here to support. Um, and I'm also going to be a part of the Darden Business Innovation and Design Organization because, of course, I love design. So <laughs> uh, I'm excited there too to bring kind of my background and my experience to help Darden students that have more creative mindsets or more design-minded things they love to do, have a space to do that. Yeah, we started talking about art and creativity, and it's interesting. It reminds me of an office hour conversation we had with Ed Freeman um, back oh, during the summer, and he talked a lot about the importance of creativity. Um, mm. for MBA students or just for people generally uh, about how valuable it is to have that kind of outlet. I imagine that resonates with you. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I, I think another thing that Cole made me realize is that I do not survive well without some creative outlet. And you guys learned so much about yourself, Jean Cole, but I think now it's 
really helped push me to be like, I need to make time to do this because creativity just allows you to really express yourself emotionally. There's, there aren't too many other spaces where you can be completely yourself and just let yourself go outside of like creative outlets. So I'm really trying to build it back into my schedule and make sure that I keep creating and keep, I guess, pushing my art and all the things I love. Have you been able to find other artists in the Darden community? <laughs> I mean, not, <laughs> not really, weirdly enough. Um, I have found other art enthusiasts. Like, <laughs> I know someone that finds us work for Christie's. So there's a bunch of people that like kind of have worked in the art world. Um, also, we have like someone that was a professional, I think. I think he played the cello professionally. So, but not someone that's like a professional artist weirdly enough I feel like my background is like like I haven't met any other architect there's nobody else I don't know anyone that was an architect <laughs> in Darden um, I don't know anyone that was an artist either in Darden so sometimes it feels like my background is very very specific in Darden we've had a couple of architects in the executive MBA program in recent oh. years so Yeti we'll have to connect you with them so um, okay. but you're but you're right to note that architecture may not necessarily be the the most obvious background into an MBA program and yet I think it's so important for listeners to hear this because I think oftentimes as people gear up to apply they're so often worried that they don't have the right background or they haven't had mm. the right set of experiences and one of the things that we always encourage students to do is to flip that around and say, well, if you're, if you're finding that you're, you're different than a lot of other people applying to business school or as you have these conversations, you go to events and people describe where they're coming from. If it sounds different than you, then that can also be a real source of strength for you. You know, we're trying to have as much difference as possible in the classroom. Um, but I don't know if candidates always look at it that way. Oh, yes, definitely. I think I had a lot of anxiety around kind of being a background I felt like it's really different in a business school. But I realized that there's always some connection. Like so many times I've brought up something I learned from my architecture background uh, in classes and it's completely relevant. Or I've had conversations with people. I realize that a lot of the things that you have done in your background, even though it might not have the same, I guess, label or role title as consultant, you realize that a lot of those skills apply everywhere. Like for instance, architects always have to sell stuff. <laughs> like we basically have to sell concepts to clients all the time. We have to talk to clients and figure out, hey, what are your needs? What do you need? And that's all what consulting is. So you realize, I think, when you open yourself that those experiences are transferable in so many different contexts. And it's about having conversations with other people to realize just that. Yeah, you make a great point about the design process, right? You probably start by talking with stakeholders and mm -hmm. people who will be using the space and asking them, you know, what are their problems? What are their challenges? What would they like to see here? And then synthesizing all of that and, and making a recommendation. And then that recommendation is either accepted or, or not uh, by the person that's paying for the project. It does sound a lot like consulting. Uh, <laughs> it basically <me>. is. <laughs> I always see it as like, the same thing, but different medium. While consulting is usually about whether it's some financial goal, whatnot, architecture is just about the bills environment. So you're trying to do the same thing, but with different different items or objects. Well, Yeti, I wonder if you have a piece of advice for our prospective student listeners. Anything you'd like to share? Sure. Um, I think the biggest thing I would like to share, and what's most important to make it through Darden, is 
I'll say remember what's important to you. Um, as someone that's kind of coming from a very different background and kind of thrown into an environment where there's basically three important, <laughs> three important industries, finance, consulting, maybe tech, well, probably investment banking. It's probably another one that I'm forgetting. Remember who you are and what's important to you and find communities that can help emphasize and remind you about your own strengths. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, you make so many good points around staying connected to your passions and those things that really help sustain you. I think it can be really easy to neglect those kind of passions and hobbies and interests. And you may not feel like you have as much time for them as you did before an MBA program. But even just trying to find a little bit of time, carving out that time to be creative or to work out or whatever the whatever the case may be for your, for your mental health and well-being when you're trying to do something as difficult as business school. Uh, can be really, really critical. Um, and we talk a lot here on the podcast about the importance of prioritization and priorities. And uh, your priorities are your priorities. They're not someone else's. And that, that can be hard to remember in business school. Definitely. <laughs> well, Yeti, thank you so much for, for your time today. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. And good luck with uh, finishing out your first year. And we look forward to hearing more about building goodness in April in the in the year ahead. Perfect. Thank you so much. This has been great. And that was my interview with Yeti Ogunwumi, a first-year student in our full-time MBA class of 2023. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.